welcome to the Everyday Niner Fan Podcast. I am here with Diamante, the Everyday Niner Fan. Hey, yeah, that's me. Uh, on Twitter, at Everyday Niner. And my name is Jeremy, and I am at Niner Adjacent. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself on our inaugural episode. Episode one. First of all, I'm incredibly nervous. Uh, yeah, this is, this is either like opening day or the maiden voyage of the titanic you hope to see one right you hate to see the other but nobody knew which was which at that time sure uh titanic looked like a slam dunk (laughs) and then leo froze to death it sunk yeah so you spoiler well yeah how did you become a 49ers fan in the midwest (sighs) it's tough to admit but my dad was a bandwagon fan i guess he still is but he was born in 1971, so he grew up in the 80s when the 49ers were winning the Super Bowl every other season. See, that's shameful for him, but it's a birthright for you. Right. I became like a conscious fan during like the Mike Singletary years when we weren't winning any games. So, yeah. A real one. Right. So in the household, we were like 49ers fans, but I didn't really have an idea what that meant. Yeah, I remember. So we've been friends for... Uh... Like 20 years. Like 20 years. It's been and I remember one of your defining traits was you had this awesome 49ers football and you would get so mad if people would kick it. Absolutely can't kick it. You'll put a nipple in my ball and then we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> so don't kick it, please. Well, I am not a 49ers fan. Uh, I am a Ravens fan. But I have mad respect. It's crazy that our friendship has survived so many, like, Hotly contest like the Super Bowl we watched together. The, I actually the I watched Bowl. the Super Bowl at his house, yeah. so I was surrounded by Ravens fans. Yep. It was me and my brother, who's also a 49ers fan, in a sea of Ravens fans. So uh, it was a weird dynamic, but uh, shout out to the whole Shoal Clan. And then we survived last year's uh, rainy mess of a game that was decided by. A field goal kick. I remember the Niners sticking it to the Ravens in like 2015. We just gotten Sharice Wright from you, and then he got torched all game. Oh, yeah. There's there's a reason. Like Sharice Wright was a movable commodity. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think today we should establish what we think the 49er season will look like, and then we can talk a little bit about Game One uh, against Arizona. And maybe even look ahead to what we would predict the end records to be for the division and some of the some of the MVPs for the team. So, starting off, uh, the 2019 49ers, pretty good. Yeah, uh, surprisingly pretty good. I know, like coming into the season, I thought we would be a decent squad. 13 and three, no. Um, I was thinking, you know, nine and seven, maybe 10 and six. Maybe we'd, we'd compete for the division, maybe a wild card spot, not dominance. Well, here are some of the rankings for the, for the squad. Uh, 381 total offense yards per game, fourth in the league. Uh, per game, 144 yards rushing, second, only to the team that literally the Ravens. That broke rushing. <laughs> Uh, 237 passing yards uh, per game. That's 13th in the league. And then points per game, 30. That's second. So pretty prolific offense top down under uh, Jimmy G's steady hand. In summation, 
Kyle Shanahan's offense is explosive to nobody's surprise. Yeah, and and with kind of a ragtag team outside of uh, a couple of standout all-stars uh, looking at you, George Kittle. Always looking at you, George Kittle. Uh, who, by the way, 14 games played, went 85 for 1,053 yards and five touchdowns, which uh, the catches, I was fourth among tight ends, the yards was third, and the touchdowns was seventh. So, uh, guy proved himself. Um, also important stat, two, which is the number of times that he dribbled Buda Baker in one play. <laughs> <laughs> but he did, and, and those rankings were including guys who played 16 games because he had the, the groin injury, the ankle injury, the... Just everything. The knee, yeah. Uh, George Kittle, Midwestern everyman, rub some dirt on it, let's go to work. And then Jimmy G, uh, fifth, fifth most passing touchdowns in the league, 27. And he threw for 37.78, which was 12th in the league. So. so basically, in summation, put some respect on Jimmy G's name. Yeah. Like, I don't know where people get this, like, game manager notion, but Jimmy G goes out there and does it. 27 passing touchdowns is nothing to sneeze at. Right. Um, what was it? 13 interceptions? Uh, I feel like I wrote that down somewhere, but it sounds about right. Yeah, that's, you could sneeze at that. Maybe you could sneeze at that twice. <laughs> but, uh, I think that speaks to Jimmy G, like, going out there and trying to make things happen. Outside of the Jimmy throws where he doesn't see an overhang defender and just chucks it right at him. And, of course, the Niners' defense really struggled last year. Just kidding. Didn't happen at all. Right. These guys were second in the league in yards per game. 282 yards allowed per game. Second only to the New England Patriots, who were carried by that defense. Yeah. Uh, the only thing we struggled at was containing Robert Sala's enthusiasm on the sidelines. <laughs> so, 169 <laughs> passing yards per game allowed. That was good for first in the league. 112 rushing yards per game allowed. Good for 17th and 19 points per game allowed, eighth best in the league. So this was a yeah. this was a prolific defensive year for the Niners. Uh, drafted Nick Bosa, who was unreal, defensive rookie of the year. And to be fair, we totally shouldn't have landed Nick Bosa. Like if you followed the 49ers in the season before that, um, the pieces were already there, right? We had potential we were working with. But Jimmy G getting hurt versus Kansas City just totally sandbagged the whole season. Right. And the only positive about that is we lost enough games. And uh, Arizona needed a quarterback. So we were able to get Nick Bosa, which feels unfair because the yeah. defense was good. Right. But then we were just like, let's get the best edge rusher to come out in quite a while. And you still got to watch BDN kind of do his thing. Just enough to prove that he deserves a spot on the roster yeah. as a backup. Like a spot above CJ Beathard. Beathard. Uh, he's not going to lose you games, but he's probably not going to win them for you either. That's probably fair. Yeah. So Nick Bosa was drafted number two, two overall, overall behind, behind Kyler Murray. Behind yeah. Kyler Murray. And I would say, uh, in, the, in the paraphrased words of Josh Rosen, I think he's <laughs> maybe made whoever drafted ahead of them regret that because dude was. Unbelievable. Let's let's look at his stat line. 47 combined tackles, um, 
15 assisted, nine sacks, and an interception returned for 46 yards. And that interception was a screen pass, if I recall. He just snatched it out of the air and rumbled. I mean, who would have thought that he could give players like Khalil Mack a run for their money? I think in just about every quantifiable stat, he was better. And uh, even even Joey, who was who's excellent. Mm. And I think Nick Bosa benefits from that because he's got that kind of pedigree. Yeah. So even in college, he was working out with Joey, and he was like, this is what you need to expect at the NFL level. And that was why he was able to come in and have such instant success because he was already so smooth in what he wanted to do. He already had a variety of pass rush moves. Uh, he's been a technician with his hands, and if the camp reports are anything to go on, he's improved on that, which is terrifying for opposing offenses. Yeah. And, of course, this squad came up just short of uh, enshrined glory, or so it has been explained to me because my wife was having a child during this game, so I had to watch the highlights. Listen, um, we, we don't need to talk about the last seven minutes of that game. <laughs> That's fair. So, As, as I see on, on 49er Twitter, a couple of holding calls go the, you know, the other way, maybe... Maybe it's the Niners wearing the rings instead of this Chiefs squad. Maybe. Um, a certain pass gets completed, and we may be telling a whole different story. Here. Yeah. But I digress. But it's been an offseason full of moves. First of all, the draft. We had uh, round one pick 14. Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle from South Carolina. And... Uh, how do you think he slots into this this defense? Does he have a, a role right away that he can just step into? First of all, Javon Kinlaw is a mountain of a man. And everybody agrees. Everybody you talk to in the 49ers training camp says this dude is huge. Um, he's been drafted as a sort of DeForest Buckner replacement. Mm-hmm. But that's only in theory. Now... Really, the only similarities they have is that both of those dudes are gigantic. Yeah. Um, DeForest Buckner played with a lot of finesse as a defensive tackle, as a three-tech. And Javon Kinlaw, he's not having any of that. He's a straight-ahead pass rusher. He's, he's a mauler, bull rush guy. Um, I don't think he is immediately a three-down lineman, which okay. is fine because we have so much depth on the no defensive kidding. line. He only needs to play you know, first, second, down. Fine. Um, but he's definitely, they're going to ask him to just, to get after the passer, to push guards out of the way. Um, and to that point, it may be a little concerning because reports out of camp are telling us that Lincoln Tomlinson is taking Javon Kinlaw's lunch money. And that's not, that's not where you want your 14th overall pick to be, to be losing one-on-ones with guards. Right. So, um... I think mostly that'll boil down to him developing secondary moves. Right now, he just relies on being very big and very strong and very athletic. Yeah. But when you go against a technician guard like Lake and Tomlinson, it's not going to win you the matchup. Well, of course, that was only one of two first-round picks that the, the Niners had, and they used the second on Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk. That's right. Wide receiver out of Arizona State. First-team All-Pac-12. Uh could do some serious damage in a wide receiver core that is looking a little banged up, at least as of 
early September. I'm pretty sure the whole 49ers roster has pulled a hamstring. Yeah, my goodness. Like those Well, first of all, we have we've guys like Jason Verrett who has spent the better part of his their, life competing yeah. with his own body. Yeah. yeah. But the the injury bug has has worked its way around San Francisco in uh, an unholy way. I'm looking at the uh, the ESPN team injuries page for the Niners, and it includes Dre Greenlaw, concussion, mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk, hamstring, Jason Verrett, hamstring, Richie James Jr., wrist, Debo with his foot injury, D Ford, calf, Nick Bosa, leg. I mean, the list goes on. What in the world is happening in San Francisco right now? Uh, well, we've got 22 good legs uh, out of 44 available. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think a lot of that can be attributed to the lack of a proper preseason. Probably we didn't get fair. mini camps, OTAs, no preseason games. Yeah. So we're really figuring this out on the fly. And I think being sequestered at home for COVID means a lot of these guys are just ready to get out there and work. And sometimes that's not always good. Yeah. You can't just get in there and go hard immediately. That's how you pull a hammy. <laughs> but they, they also signed Travis Benjamin, who's opted out of the season. Who immediately noped out. Yeah. Uh, Tavon Austin, who's who just got injured, and he's out for the season, right? Yeah. Uh, I think he's on IR. Yeah. So unlikely to see him suit up. Uh, some notable moves. Eric Armstead signed to a five-year deal. Uh, ben Garland Center signed to a one-year deal. Jimmy Ward signed a three-year deal. So locking up some some key players. Cornerback Dante Johnson signed to a one-year deal. They got Jason Verrett, who's struggling with injury. But Listen, Dante Johnson is going to be a 49er for the rest of his life, even after he retires. Like This dude hasn't played meaningful snaps in so long. Yeah, but he's always hanging around the roster, like guarantees in life, death, taxes, and Dante Johnson somewhere on a 49ers roster. <laughs> uh, so, where did that first pick come from in the first round that they used on Kinlaw? Didn't they? Didn't they trade? Was that from the Colts? Yeah, it was yeah. a part of the Buckner package. That's yeah. what it was. You think it was weird that they used that pick? To replace him, essentially? Or do you think that's what they were trying to do? Go a little younger? I think that was the whole point. Mm -hmm. Um, Since they were able to get a first-rounder for DeForest Buckner, um, and since they were able to sign Eric Armstead, um, I think they understood that there was a hole that needed to be filled. Yeah. Uh, I think they would have taken him, even if if they'd stayed at their original position, I think they would have taken him. Yeah. Yeah. But that's been the whole kind of motif this offseason for the 49ers is just replacing players that they lost. Um, the continuity has been great. They haven't lost pretty much anything on uh, the coaching staff or on the roster. And the guys that they did lose, they immediately replaced. You lost Joe Staley to retirement, mm-hmm. and you replace him with Trent Williams, which is at least a replacement, if not an upgrade. Now, we all love Joe Staley. And he was in the winter of his career, right? What he adds to the locker room can't be replaced. But in terms of ability on a football field, we may have upgraded with Trent Williams. Yeah, Joe Staley's the kind of guy you'd love to see in the front office. Absolutely. Uh, So we lost Joe. We replaced him with Trent. 
we lost to Forrest Buckner, and we drafted uh, Javon Kinlaw as a replacement. Um, it's also very important to establish that that's not going to be a one-for-one replacement, okay? In my opinion, DeForest Buckner played far too many snaps during his tenure with, with the 49ers. Yeah. Um, and that's to his credit. Like, they asked him to produce, like, three players, and he did that. But since we're so deep at defensive line now, you don't need Javon Kinlaw to come in and play, like, three players. You've got other yeah. guys that you can rotate in. It's very important uh, to remember. And then lastly, we lost Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints. Yes. Yeah. And we went out and drafted Brandon Ayuk, yeah. who may be a better fit because he seems to be custom-made for what Kyle Shanahan wants to do on offense. And he's also significantly younger and significantly cheaper, which are all very important when you're yeah. trying to keep a championship roster together. And Sanders must have been the, the, the leading receiver among wide receivers for... Immediately. Yeah. Like he walked into the room, and they're like, well, this is our guy. So there's, yeah, there's production that, that's missing that hopefully Ayuk's able to fill in his rookie year. Yeah. And by training camp accounts, he's ready for it. Like uh, Everybody that they ask about him seems to say he gets it. He's ready to work. Uh, Jimmy G's comfortable throwing him the ball, which is huge, you know, to have to be a rookie with no offseason training to speak of and to come in and develop chemistry with the starting quarterback. Yeah, what a time to need a wide receiver because this this draft class was unbelievable between Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson. I mean, a lot of first-round talent, and it's, and it's good to see the Niners grab someone. Yes, which reminds me, uh, I felt like patting myself on the back because I was I was messaging my brother at the time of the draft, and I knew that you know receiver was somewhere we were we were looking in the draft, mm-hmm. and I, I text my brother and I said you know keep a lookout for those guys the Jerry Judys, C.D. Lambs, Henry Ruggs, but I said also later you know later in the round maybe the second round watch out for guys like Brandon Ayuk, like so I was. Eminent Sage, you heard it here first. Yep, and they get that fifth-year option right at the end of the first round. So the expected, oh, before I get to the expected win-loss, Jordan Reed listen, is a 49er. And if you can get the games out of him, you're going to get the production, which is unbelievable considering that the Niners already have George Kill. This is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, at some at some point, it just feels unfair. It is unfair. Like, why do we get to do this to other teams? Yep. Um, Jordan Reed, the ability, he's, he's... I think he's had something like 147 concussions. I think so. I think that's right. Um, that we know of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, recorded. He's like a bigger Jason Verrett. Like, the talent was never in question. Right. It was just, could he stay on the field? Unfortunately, you can't... Hot, cold therapy concussions away. Yeah. Once your eggs are scrambled, they're scrambled. Uh, so that'll be the biggest question is can we keep keep Jordan Reed out there on the field? Because if we can, yeah, it's a problem for His everybody. connection with Kirk Cousins in Washington was magical. Magical enough for $84 million guaranteed. Write that down. And I will say this is... This is a weird time to, to throw this out here in this podcast, but I am. I, I, remember, I'm a Ravens fan. I am a Kirk Cousins apologist. I will go to the grave loving this man. Uh, when no. he said you like that, 
He was talking to me, and the answer was yes. And I'm not even sure it was a question. You like that? It was not. Uh, that's a big misconception. Like, if you go back and watch that tape, he's not asking whoever they like that. He's telling them. He even points, like, vigorously. You like that. <laughs> and he was right. I did. I Absolutely. really did. I think that's the only thing that I like, though. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Kirk Cousins as a football player. Yeah. Um, so if every once in a while I talk about Kirk Cousins, it's... Fair enough. Especially with his, his misconstrued mass comments now. 49ers Twitter is generally like, thank God. <laughs> this is not our guy. Yeah. Yeah, I was... I stayed away from that one because... Because <laughs> I, I it's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Okay, expected win-loss. Uh, I'm seeing 12-4 and four thrown out a lot, which is... Which is good for first in the division. Yeah. Um, I think that's a little bit optimistic. I hate to say it. I think well, that's... wait until you... I, you know, because you, I think your phone lock screen is... Is my schedule. Is the schedule for the 49ers. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who don't know how the NFL schedule works, you play all three teams in your division twice. Once home, once away. So that's six games of of your season you also play two other divisions one in the afc one in the nfc for the niners this year that is the east uh for both conferences so the afc east and the nfc east Mm -hmm. the afc east is the patriots division which is the patriots the dolphins the jets the bills which i would say is a pretty good draw because that division historically not so great aside from the Patriots, but then this year with Tom Brady going to Tampa and uh, like half of their team opting out because of COVID. Uh, Which I still think is by design. Yeah. This, this is Bill Belichick palpatining his way to another <laughs> Super Bowl victory. Yeah. Just proving that he can do it by himself. Yeah. He's like, He's like you... Thanos, like, I'll do it myself, yeah, putting like, his hand in the gauntlet. Right. Like, if you guys all opt out, then you'll still be under contract for next season, yeah. and we'll lose enough games to get a high draft pick. Yeah, they could tank for Trevor. You heard it here first. Um, and then the NFC East, which uh, I think that division may not have had more than one team over 500. It's the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Redskins, and the Giants, and they were all pretty terrible last year. And so that seems to be a theme. Like typically the Eagles are are, are good. The Cowboys are decent. And then that is it. Yeah. Like the Giants are floundering. The Washington football team, they're floundering. They're rebuilding, but they're still floundering. Yeah. This is like year one of a rebuild. So it's going to be ugly. Uh, And then you play two teams in. So the 49ers will play two teams in the NFC who finished in the same place in their division that the Niners did. And for the Niners, that is New Orleans and Green Bay. And uh, you got to feel pretty optimistic about at least one of those based on the playoffs last year. Yeah, if the playoffs are any indication, uh, it's a W versus the Pack. Uh, the Saints? A lot of talent there. Yeah, it's, it's iffy, but it Toss should up. be a good game. Yeah. So... I think this is a pretty sweet schedule for San Francisco. 12 and 4 sounds realistic. And I think they could do even better, which is crazy to say, but I think that they could probably sweep both East divisions. I don't think that's 
unfair to say. Uh, I'm interested to see what these new look Patriots look like, though. Yeah. I'm wary about that. Yeah. Um, yeah everything else looks... Yeah, unless complacency sets in or, or injuries get the better of the 49er squad, I could definitely see a record like that. Now, how do you see the rest of the division falling? Because I'd say this is one of the more talented divisions in football. I'd say this is the best division in football, and I don't. I was going to say that, but I, I don't didn't... know if it's particularly close. I don't know who, what division you would compare. Yeah, like you could say the NFC South, mm-hmm. which some people have, but I think that's that's a bit of hype. Like the yeah. actual, like the legitimate, we know Super Bowl contender is the Saints. Uh, mm-hmm. People are expecting the Bucks to be fantastic, which they should. Yeah, they're but... an excellent roster in 2017. They have the best 2017 roster of all time, but it's 2020. Right. So, uh, and then the Falcons have, uh, have weirdly been kind of a dumpster fire. Right. They've even been, though there's been so much talent. They've been like, but the dumpster is painted. Like, you can't <laughs> Fresh tell. Fresh coat of paint. Right. You can't tell where dumpster. it's all falling apart, but you can tell that it is. Like, these are. These guys should be winning games, and ultimately yeah. they're not. Looks nice, smells like doo-doo. Doo-doo. And, uh, and the Panthers. Who knows? Yeah. The Panthers Who are knows a total right. anomaly. Yeah. Totally up in the air. It is Christian McCaffrey and the everybody else's. So we've got the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. Obviously, we're projecting San Francisco to repeat as champions. How could we not? This is arguably the best team in football. Right. Yeah, no, I don't think it's a stretch to say that that we win the division. And where do the rest of the cards fall, in your opinion? Um, I think we can expect the sort of back and forth with Seattle that we had last year. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, no matter how bad they are, they're always in games, and they always play the 49ers close. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, empty stadiums and stadiums at half capacity or 20% capacity affect teams, especially the Seahawks, who really rely on uh, the earthquake of the 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 12th man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm very interested to see and hear what Seattle sounds like without 12s in the stands. Yeah. If they're allowed to pump in a little more sound than everyone else. They'll try to. Uh, yeah, they will. <laughs> <laughs> Stinky Pete the Cheat will try to get by on them. <laughs> so you see them finishing second? I think so. Um, I also think that the Arizona Cardinals take third place. Ooh, you heard it here first. I think they're moving in there yeah. to take the Rams' spot. They're, mm-hmm. they're solid. They're Even last year, they weren't very good, but they were exciting to watch. Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't remember them ever being, like, blown out of games. They almost beat the Ravens when I watched. I mean, it was like a three-point game. It was right. insane. So I think, you know, just another year with Cliff Kingsbury tweaking his offense mm-hmm. and, and Kyler Murray gaining his footing, I think we see them take the Rams, uh, leapfrog them in, in divisional standing. And the Ra- and the Rams are not bad. They're not. They're, they're not a bad team. Yeah. But it's just, they're, it feels like there's so many question marks. Yeah. Like... Um, I think in the year that they went to the Super Bowl, we saw like peak Rams. I don't know if they get better than that. Yeah. And how many points did they drop in that Super Bowl? Pretty much none. Trace. That was. It was like a thirteen to three game. That was the most boring Super Bowl game 
I've ever I'm watched. Not sh- that might be the only time I've turned a Super Bowl off. Like, I was bored out of my mind. Typically, when people say, you know, I watch Super Bowl for the commercials, I'm like, no, fuck that. It is yeah. football. But in this one, you could hear the announcers like struggling to find ways yeah. to make this an exciting <laughs> game to call. It's all oh, this is a defensive masterpiece. It's like, no, the Rams just don't know what to do on offense. Yeah. That's always been my problem with Sean McVay. His plan A is great. But if it doesn't work, in the moment, yeah. he does not have a plan B. What's that B. Mike Tyson uh, quote about getting... Everybody has a plan. Yeah. Until they're punched in the mouth. And he got punched in the mouth. And he didn't know how to respond. Yeah, and, and that's I been... He, I think he fell down and cried a little bit. That's been McVeigh's Achilles, is if his his initial option doesn't work out, he doesn't really have a plan B. Well, it, that's, uh, that's the Niners' gain, of course, because in a tight division, you take every advantage you get. So let's move on to uh, week one, which, of course, is in San Francisco against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, we talked a little bit about them, uh, talking about the division, but what do we know? Well, as I said before, uh, I think the Cardinals are their team on the rise. Yeah, 5-10-1 last season. Like I think their record doesn't like, the division. accurately portray like the talent and potential that they have on the team. That's probably fair. Yeah. Right. They were uh, 16th in the league in points for, 28th in points against, which is crazy because they had arguably one of the best defenders in the league, someone vying for that Defensive Player of the Year award in Chandler Jones. And they have Patrick Peterson... Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> Old P.E.D. Pat. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about their offense led by uh, second-year Kyler Murray. What do you see in uh, the way that they scheme? So 49ers fans ought to be very familiar with the Cardinals scheme because in watching their, their highlights and some of the tape, uh, it dawned on me that this is the offense that – this is the vision that Chip Kelly had for the 49ers during his tenure there, right? Which was very successful. That was a joke. I remember. <laughs> you can't see the look on my face, but if you, you could, heard the sigh, though. I hope you did. <laughs> um, so they're a very widespread, spread everybody out. They're going to use four and five receiver sets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a lot of that air raid style of offense, even. They're gonna, they're gonna dig vertically when they can. But even if they can't, there's always two or three checkdown options. Yeah, and Kyler Murray uh, can run. Yeah, um, that's a, the zone reads and the, and the design runs are something that uh, Cliff Kingsbury can scheme in because he's got a very mobile, very athletic quarterback that can run them. Yeah, he had the second most rushing yards by a quarterback. 544 yards, uh, the only person who was better literally uh, broke the record. So yeah, Can't do any better than that. Yeah, I'm a fan. Um, so speaking of zone reads, we saw a Niners team that maybe struggled on options last year a little more than you'd like to see. Yeah. What do they do about that? Yeah, the options and the inside runs gave us fits, Yeah, which I think is pretty Another part of the reason that um, they looked to pick up Kinlaw in the draft because he's he's just he's a huge man, and and he's not a finesse player, so he's going to create that sort of pressure and havoc uh, 
in the backfield. I think the adjustment to that is you just have to have more discipline with with your linebackers and your DNs. Yeah. Right? Because we um, saw Bosa struggle on, on a lot of those option plays. Right. I think that'll be the step one to being better is, is being more assignment sound yeah. with that. I think sometimes there's like miscommunication between um, the defensive end and the linebacker. Like you'd see Nick Bosa play the quarterback and then you would see the linebacker also play the quarterback yeah. and nobody's picking up this halfback that's yeah. now headed for the hills. So if you can get uh, you can get discipline from Bosa and when you can't get discipline, if you can have better flow from the linebackers to clean up, I think they'll be in a better spot. Yeah, and good news for the Niners, uh, you know who the the most sacked QB in the league was? If I had to guess. Uh, please do. I would have to say it's Kyler Murray. It was Kyler Murray. There's a three-way tie. I forget who the other two were, but it doesn't matter because Kyler Murray... <laughs> because we're not talking about them today. Yeah, yeah. Kyler Murray's going to eat turf uh, for a not insignificant portion of the day. I also saw a very interesting report. Uh, I think he was on with Michael Vick, mm-hmm. and they asked the, the, I toughest, saw this too. the toughest defenders to face. And he the, just he named... was asked for like five, and he was like, can I... Yeah. He just can named just... the whole 49ers D-line, yep. <laughs> which is exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he had the ninth most passing attempts in the league, which you'd expect to see a high uh, volume from the air raid offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had 20 passing TDs, which was 21st. So uh, didn't quite match up. Yeah. Uh, couldn't quite get the job done most of the time, which makes sense because this was a sub-500 team that is uh, figuring out what it wants to do. And also a team without a lot of red zone threats. like. Larry Fitzgerald is your only established red zone guy. So in between the twenties, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. And Larry Fitzgerald also has to be in the deep winter of his career. I mean, we're talking. He's got to be getting close to the Christmas of his career. Absolutely. Like yeah. it, he's in that weird phase between Christmas and New Year's Day where time doesn't exist, <laughs> and like the human beings as a collective are like, "What are we doing here?" Yeah. Why can't we just we just jump ahead? Fast forward. Uh, and speaking of that receiving core, in addition to uh, a third-year Christian Kirk, who has silently been pretty okay, uh, hasn't been—that's fair to say—probably been what, yeah, been what they they needed him to be because they didn't bring him in to be the one. They had Larry. They just brought in a one. Yeah, they did. They bought, brought in uh, one of the the ones, yeah. DeAndre Hopkins, uh, who they fleeced the Houston Texans for. Uh, somehow we're able to get uh, rid of a hobbled, uh, old busted David Johnson for one of the best wide receivers in the game, if not the best. And somebody has to ask Bill O'Brien, what are you doing? What are you doing, boss? <laughs> I mean, this is a man who just this last year, 104 catches fourth in the league, uh, 1,165 yards, 11th in the league. In 15 games, the man missed a game, and uh, if you extrapolate, he would have been he would have been like top five. So, uh, spoiler alert: Hopkins is good at football. Yep, and uh, a, a lot of people are making a lot out of the the transition from Deshaun Watson to Kyler Murray, but uh, the stats are pretty similar. I know uh, Watson missed a game also, but uh, a lot of their their passing work looks the same on paper. So. 
the question is, what kind of role does does Hopkins walk into? And unfortunately for the Niners, they don't get to see it because this is week one. Yeah, coming in blind. Um, how do you see him? How do you see the whole receiving core matching up with uh, the the defensive backfield of the 49ers? All right, so listen. <laughs> oh, I'm I, ready. I think. I think where the Cardinals will give the 49ers fits won't be on the boundaries. They won't throw at Richard Sherman. Nobody does. Right. Uh, they can try to throw at Emmanuel Mosley, but he's played strongly every time we've asked him to play pretty much. Mm-hmm. I think where they're going to give us fits will be over the middle. I don't expect Hopkins to be out wide on the boundary a lot. I really expect them to work like that intermediate middle area yeah because like the report on hopkins is he's not necessarily a burner he's got speed yeah but he's a dog oh yeah he gets called for opi a lot right contested catches so i think like right there in that that middle area between the linebackers and safeties that's where that's where they're going to cause us the most problems especially when you've got you've got deandre hopkins who's a dog over the middle and then you've got Larry Fitzgerald who's also a dog under the middle yeah. over the middle. So I think it's very easy to see a situation where they've got Larry in shallow over the middle drawing attention from the linebackers and then you've got DeAndre Hopkins out there in the intermediate era kind of filling that void. Yeah. Um and in the backfield we've got Kenyon Drake leading Drake. The yeah, of all people. Uh what a weird career trajectory. He was he was stuck in Miami, and he looked awful, but that was probably more Adam Gase than anything. <laughs> because Miami was awful at yeah. that time. Uh, but then he gets shipped to uh, he gets shipped to Arizona. I believe it was right before the Halloween game uh, against the Niners. I think that was his first week. And uh, he he put in a little bit of work. Let me look oh, at yeah. his. Oh yeah, he he worked over the San Francisco defense a little bit. Let's yeah. let's not get ourselves. Yeah, on he that. went 15 for 110, and a touchdown on the ground. Four for 52 in the air. Uh, what makes Kenyon Drake a threat? Well, in that specific instance, I think it's because we didn't have any tape on him in that offensive yeah. scheme. and so the devil you don't know. Um, but he's just he's a versatile back. Yeah. Like he reminds me of a like a Raheem Mostert, but a better pass catcher out of the backfield. Yeah. He's that he's definitely like got that one cut style. Yeah, and he and uh so the Niners played the Cardinals twice over the course of three weeks last year. And in the second matchup he went sixteen for sixty seven, which is fine. I mean that's it's over four carry. And uh, he caught six for 13, which is decidedly less fine. Uh, I would imagine he got stuffed in the backfield quite a bit on that yeah. in the screen game. So the, the Niners did seem to figure him out a little bit. Yeah, um, we shouldn't underestimate Robert Sala's ability to, to, to game plan defensively. Yeah. Um, but these, these numbers, comparing his, his time in Arizona with his time in Miami, it's stupid. I mean, the guy... <laughs> The guy had in six games with Miami. They were all losses, of course, because of course Miami they were. was tanking for Tua, and they got it. and they did successful um, tank. He he went for 174 total rushing yards in six games. I don't even know how that happens, 
but the man uh, after he, he goes to uh, Arizona, he goes for 643 in his last 10, which is pretty respectable. If you extrapolate that out, uh, that's a thousand yard rusher. Probably would have put him around 14th in the league. Um, so, first of all, woof. Yeah, those Miami numbers, trash. But also, uh, Adam Gase calls the most basic run calls. Like, Which we were, at that point, he was in New York, but a lot of his time was in, in Miami was um, was under Gase, who is a uh, pretty terrible yeah, coach who, from, by all accounts. Man, listen, who is just the vanilla ice cream of play callers. I mean, look what, yeah, look what he's doing to Le'Veon Bell right now. I mean, ma- making him look old, old. Right, busted. he's... He is hamstringing Le'Veon Bell's career. Yeah. Single-handedly. Seems to hate him. Is bringing in 68-year-old Frank Gore. I just saw Frank Gore, his son, Frank Gore Jr., is playing college football. Do you think that it's possible that we could live in a world where at some point they share a backfield? Yes. Optimistically, we can only yes. hope. I do respect Frank Gore and all that he's done, and I did not mean to imply that he uh, is eligible for Colonial Pen Insurance. Probably like AARP <laughs> AARP time. Uh, <laughs> no, like Frank Gore is—he's a T eight hundred dude. Like he's yeah. just—he's been in the league so long. Yeah, good and he's for been him. effective. That's why, like, when people, um, I used his example. When people talked about Jarek McKinnon, you know, after he tore his ACL, they said, oh, yeah, well, man, we he forgot not, to talk about He uh, may not Jet. be the same player. And this, I was like, well, didn't Frank Gore tear both of his ACLs in yeah. college <laughs> and then go on to play 28 years in the NFL? Like, yeah, speaking of Jet, how do you think that the, just to, just to set aside the, the Cardinal game for a second, how do you think this backfield shakes out this year? You had Brita go to the Dolphins. And now you've got Jet coming back. You've got Tevin Coleman with another year under his belt. Uh, Raheem Mostert, who looked unbelievable down the stretch last year. Who's 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 leading the way in this backfield? First of all, my goodness, like that, embarrassment of riches. Yes, it's straight up yeah. gluttony. Again, stupid. Um, for for nobodies like that is that's been a Shanahan scheme. And, and staples since Mike Shanahan was the mm-hmm. ability to identify running backs who nobody had ever heard of. Yeah, and make. Them... I think we saw we saw Devonta Freeman emerge in Atlanta under Kyle Shanahan's right. coordination, and then under Mike Shanahan with Terrell Davis, same thing. Ooh, yeah. Right. Um, I think for whatever reason, Tevin Coleman will still be the starting running back in title. Like, even if he's not the best running back and he doesn't yeah. get the most carries, I think he'll probably be out there for play one. Yeah. And um, we heard Kyle Shanahan say, be, mostly because that's important to Tevin Coleman, to feel like the starter. Yeah. He said, even if we don't use him as a typical starter, he'll be our starter because it means the most to him and it'll help make him the most effective. Yeah, and speaking of Devonta Freeman, he was second fiddle there. So right. it makes sense that he... Moved away to try to get a, a starting job. Yeah, so I think uh, Tevin Coleman has has he'll be the starter in title, but I think Raheem Moser will probably see the bulk of the actual carries. I think mm-hmm. he'll be more of that that bell cow guy because he's shown the ability to run between the tackles, and he's got that ridiculous game breaking speed. Yeah, 
And he had the he had requested for a trade. Um, that was a, a month total or two ago. power move orchestrated by the agent. Like they they since uh, talked about that and they said he said, "Look, I didn't plan on going anywhere. I didn't want to go anywhere. That was totally a formality." Yeah. Like just to gain leverage in this negotiation. So you don't think it has any effect on the locker room, the no. relationship with the team? No. That's um, good to hear. Raheem Mostert himself said that he talked to somebody higher up in the organization and sorted out the whole situation before they got his deal renegotiated. I yeah. don't think there was any real like ill will. He was just looking for more guaranteed money because he's got a family to take care of. Yeah, and uh, his his contract was as a core special teamer, and he wanted to be paid more like the running back they were using him as. But back to your original point, uh, I think Jarek McKinnon will be specifically the third down back and i think he'll be so effective yeah he's got the pedigree of uh of working in the passing game and if you've seen the reports out of camp he is destroying linebackers in coverage which is special because we have some pretty damn good coverage linebackers no kidding in fred warner kwan alexander and dre greenlaw are we expecting warner to be back by uh, i don't know i haven't seen anything um, and they can't say exactly what happened. When you're on the COVID list, you either have tested positive or you've been like exposed to it. So you hung around yeah. somebody who tested positive. Yeah, you positive. get to quarantine either way. So uh, last I heard, there hasn't been much update, but we're hoping we get him back as quick as possible. But yep. even if we don't, uh, I'm confident rolling with Quan Alexander and Dre Greenlaw in yep. those roles until Fred returns. Okay, so uh, one last note before we... Start making some some predictions about the Arizona game is um, Arizona added Isaiah Simmons linebacker out of Clemson in the first round he was their pick um, ACC defensive player of the year gonna bolster that that linebacker core a little more. All right, the interesting thing about Simmons is I suppose he's that sort of linebacker safety hybrid. Yeah, he they moved him around a lot. Which is just to say that everybody in the NFL is afraid of George Kittle. Yeah. That's like you could see, like they drafted Especially that guy division, yeah. in hopes of stopping George Kittle. Yeah. Because uh Arizona was absolutely trash at covering the tight end this year. Um I saw some some very stupid stats. Uh, they allowed 89 receptions for 1,002 yards and 15 touchdowns against tight ends. And I know you're probably thinking that's in a division that has George Kittle. But George Kittle only played one game against the Cardinals last year. He was hurt the other one. So, And more than that, now it's a team that features George Kittle and, and Jordan, Jordan Reed. Reed. So, like, what's up? Yeah. So uh, give me twenty three personnel all day. Yes. <laughs> so I would say big game plan has to be go to Kittle early and often. This team is horrible against tight end. Absolutely. Uh, and maybe even get Reed in the mix. Oh, It'd be nice to see him break out week one. I think that you'll see Jordan Reed a lot on in red zone opportunities, especially. Because how do you defend that? Yeah. Right? You've got, ideally, you've got Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Jarek McKinnon, George Kittle, and Jordan Reed. You can't tell if it's a run or if it's a pass. And, and then if they run, they're probably doing a pretty good job. 
So and you it, have to respect it. And if they pass, what are you going to do, brother? <laughs> yeah. Listen. I, I feel bad for Arizona next week. I feel bad for every defense that yeah. has to deal with that. I mean, this. so in the second game that the Niners played the Cardinals last year, Jimmy went 424-4. So they've seen the man torch them in the air. And though that those are the games that I bring up when people talk about, like, Jimmy's a game manager, mm-hmm. and, but but in both of the Arizona games, like they put the game in his hands and said, "Go win it." Yeah, and he did it. For Hundo is legit. Legit, too legit to quit. <laughs> For Huthered, all of it. Um, so they have to respect the running game and the passing game. They've got two tight ends who are amazing with the ball in their hands. They've got three <laughs> running backs to worry about. What in the world are right. the Cardinals going to do? I have no idea. Uh, lose is yeah, the answer. I would say so. Uh, and then we've got uh, Murray's height, which is an issue for them. Uh, they had the most, the second most batted passes last year uh, at 15. So Kyler Murray has struggled to get the ball over the line of scrimmage. You're hoping that, well, obviously we're not hoping. They're hoping to see... DeAndre Hopkins used in the intermediate game, but... But Kyler's got to deliver him the ball. Yeah, can Murray even deliver in the intermediate game? He might have to air it out just to get the ball over this this crushing defensive line. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kyler Murray's actual throwing mechanics. Uh, I said before we started recording that, like, Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson are essentially the same person. If Russell Wilson had any sense of cool whatsoever, he'd be Kyler Murray. Um, the difference is it doesn't happen as much to Russ because Russ has a really traditional over-the-top kind of lofty throwing motion, which allows him to get over the offensive lineman. Yeah. But with Kyler, he, he has a sort of three-quarter arm angle, which is, is more straight line, and it doesn't lend itself well to passing over offensive linemen. Yeah, you compared him to Phillip Rivers, yeah. Yeah, he's got that weird just heave back and just chug it like he plays he plays the quarterback position like a shortstop that's what it reminds me of is like when you see those throws when a shortstop comes up with the ball and he's trying to turn too it's the same sort of kind of flicking throwing motion like that so the keys to uh stopping this offense we talked about uh defending the option because the ball could go any number of ways um We've we've talked about that intermediate smothering. DeAndre Hopkins is probably going to be key, and then getting to Kyler Murray early and often. The guy uh, is perennially sacked. He spent a ton of last season on his butt, and uh, I think the Niners are a pretty decent bet to uh, continue that tradition. Yeah, I think of all the keys, that'll be the easiest one to achieve. We just need the defensive line to go and do defensive line things. Yep. Like there's no, there's no game there. Just get after it. And how would you summarize the keys to the game for the offense, other than get the ball to your tight ends? Basically, um, that that's the key is keeping it varied. Mm-hmm. Um, just we don't have a number one guy other than George Kittle, who's going to demand a ton of attention. But uh, you're going to look for Jimmy to spread the ball around. Get get everybody involved and like not let the defense key in on any one player, which I think will be much easier with the personnel that they have now. So, uh, what are your, what would you say your prediction is for result 
final score? Ooh. Well, result is uh, obviously a 49er win. The dub. Yeah. Eat it. James Winston style. Anybody listening at home, please don't do that. <laughs> Refrain. Yeah, that not COVID friendly, by the way. Yeah. Do no. not put your fingers in your mouth. It's unsanitary. Unsanitary. Yeah. Um, so the dub. What's the, the score? The dub. This one is tough. I think it has potential to be one of those like 28-31 games mm-hmm. if both of those offenses can was, cook. My, my prediction is 31-17 49ers. But then it also has the 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 potential to be like a 35 to 10 game. Yeah. Like because the other part of being Chip Kelly's unrealized vision is um that offense is so fast that if they can't consistently move the chains, the defense is on the field a lot and they will be worn out and Kyle Shanahan will eat them for lunch. Yep. So, if Arizona can sustain drives and keep the defense off the field, then it uh, it has potential to be a shootout. But if they can't keep consistently moving the chains and they keep putting their defense out on the field to try to deal with the 49ers offense, it's going to be a long day. So I'm locking in 31 to 17. What's your best guess? That's fair. I'm going to go 28-10. Okay. I'm going to go 28-10. You heard it here first. One of us will be absolutely right, and the other will be absolutely wrong, because that's how predicting scores goes. It has to be one or the other. Now, for these last few minutes, uh, I want to ask about, uh, very briefly, about who you think will be the uh, sort of the team MVPs, who's going to be the difference makers on offense and defense. Who, who does this team lift up at the end of the season as the reason that the 49ers have won the Super Bowl? The fans will say George Kittle. He did that's, get the bag, so you hope that's to see... That's a sexy pick. Like, yeah, George you hope Kittle to see produces. continued production. But, if we're honest with ourselves, this team only goes as far as Jimmy Garoppolo's next step. Yeah. So that'll be the guy that actually, like determines how far we go yeah. but the fanfare will be 85 yeah i think garoppolo is a safe pick because uh i think a lot of the burden of the super bowl's fallen on his shoulders maybe and, unfairly yeah and uh it's time for the revenge tour and also um second years in kyle shanahan's system like we we've seen what quarterbacks are able to do once they're comfortable yeah. In such a complex scheme. And you have to remember, this will be Jimmy's second, like, full starting season. Right. So. How about the defense? I know there's the easy picks. Your, yeah. Your Bosa's, your Sherman's. I think it'll, it really will be Nick Bosa, though. Yeah. I, th- I think everything that he offers is just, he's, he's what makes this team go. Yeah. Um, he's got all the makings of, like, a Khalil Mack. Uh, a Joey Bosa, an Aaron Donald, where you just you think about that d- defense, the first person that comes to your mind, Nick Bosa. But then, uh, just like with the offense, I think the real reason will be D Ford, because 
you could tell, like, when he wasn't on the field, his presence was missed. That yeah. was when everybody was like, well, maybe the 49ers defense isn't that good. But then as soon as he was inserted back into the lineup, the sack numbers went up. The You know, the defensive metrics all improved. So, like, it'll be how often he's able to be effective on the field, which will lead to Nick Bosa eating, which will lead to him getting that sort of team MVP nod. Right. Any final words related to the Niners or football or anything at all before we uh, we peace out of here? First of all, this is wild. Yeah. All right? Listen, uh, I never thought that I would be relevant in the 49ers conversation at all. Like, if anybody knows me, all the fuck I ever do is talk about football. Yep. And I never really thought I'd have a platform to talk to people I've never met about football. Yeah. So, and like, I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm excited as well. So, like, for listening, if you're hearing this, thank you. Like, stay tuned. And uh, my final word is uh, football is back. And I'm not sure we've ever needed the National Football League like we do on this very day. Oh, it's, it's SpongeBob. I need it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to repeat it as Spongebob. Yeah. I need it. There it is. All right. This has been the uh, the maiden voyage of the Everyday Niner Fan Podcast. You can find Diamante at... At Everyday Niner. On Twitter. And uh, I am at adjacent niner i just made this account i have exactly one follower as of this recording and it is my my dude over here uh don't feel the need to drop a follow because i'm mostly there just to learn because as i said i'm a ravens fan but i am growing some love for the niners so uh if you see me follow you say interesting stuff that is all we have folks until next time. Until next time. Bye.